You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Epic Fail. This series explores some of the Bible's most spectacular disasters to learn how we can rebound from life's most disappointing and discouraging moments. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Don't you guys just love Peter? He's awesome. I mean, I know my wife at least likes the name. Named uh, her second cat, Simon. And, um, oh yeah, her second son too, second son. That was, she likes the name. We, the person's great. I mean, he's person, I mean, he's us. He's, he's you, he's me. Uh, he's, he's real. I mean, he's, it's, it's easy to see yourself in Peter, I think. Um, but Peter's the story. He's the one with all the potential I mean, he's, he was the kind of the one that was going to, uh, uh, take this thing that Jesus had started to the, to the, uh, into the next, uh, season. But when it was time, when his, his moment came, when it, when a moment came, uh, he was able to talk the talk, but he wasn't able to walk the walk. Uh, the, the life of Peter, if you follow that, is, is, is one of denial and humiliation. But at the same time, as we read, love, and restoration. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you failed? What, what did you do when, when you failed? Did you, did you hide? Uh, did, you, did you medicate it? Um, did you allow yourself to be buried in condemnation? What if today you allowed Jesus to meet you in that failure? What would that look like? By the way, the, today's message is just for failures. If you're one of those successful types, you can, you can play with your phone or something. But this is just for those of us who fail. Peter was one who failed. Uh, we first hear about Peter in, in John 1. Um, Andrew comes and tells Simon, hey, we found the Messiah. And so he takes Peter to the Messiah. He takes him to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, you were Simon, but now you are Peter, which means rock. I mean, Peter was going to be sturdy. Peter was going to be faithful. Peter was going to be uh, the foundational. And then a short time later, you know, he, hadn't, he had been renamed, he had been called, but he hadn't yet been a disciple. In Luke 5, um, he's out fishing, because he was a fisherman. And uh, they've been out fishing all night. And you fished at night back then because it was better for fishing, because the fish didn't see the nets, um, you know, in, in, the, in the dark water. And so they were fishing all night, and they hadn't caught a boot. And so they're coming to shore, and, and Jesus is like, hey, I've got a good idea. Why don't you go back out and do that again? And uh, Peter's like, Master, you know, we've done this all night. But, you know, hey, since you're, you know, since you read the Torah for a living, uh, we'll go ahead and take your advice. And so he goes, and they went back out, and then they catch this huge amount of fish, so big, so much fish that the nets broke. And his response, Peter's response to this grace is, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus says, look, you've been catching, I empowered you to catch these fish. Now I'm going to empower you to catch men. Why don't you come with me, drop your nets, and let's go. And Peter went, and he quickly became part of uh, Jesus' inner circle. I mean, the crowds were always around Jesus, and then there was a group of like 120, and then a group of 70, and then we know about the 12. But within the group of the 12, there was this kind of inner crew, three guys, uh, James, John, and then, of course, Peter and Peter was invited to do some things that not everyone else was invited to. He was invited to walk on water. 
He's invited to go up this mountain, what's called the Mount of Transfigurations, where Jesus, uh, the word metamorphosis, became something else. And, was, you know, Moses, a lot, all these different, it's amazing experience he was brought into. And over the years, he just, he just came closer and closer, uh, Jesus and Peter. I mean, about as close as you can get. And, you know, Peter had a mouth. He had a big mouth. It, it helped him. It hurt him at times. And there was that time where he's like, hey, you're the Christ. Everyone else says you're all these different guys, but I say you are the Christ. And then a second later, he rebukes Jesus. So his big mouth helped him and it hurt him. He was a confident man. He was sure of himself. He knew what he was going to bring to the table. He knew, you know, and this idea that he was brought into the inner circle only kind of fueled his confidence. And no doubt, Peter was going to be a very key player. And like I said, they became very close over these three years that they walked together. These three years, they were all filled with triumph and victory and increased clarity that this Jesus is the Messiah. That he's bigger than the, the Jewish religious system. He's even bigger than Rome. It was all champagne and high fives. And then, but the mood changed. They enter in Jerusalem. They're getting ready to have uh, this Passover meal. Uh, it, it was a time when Jesus had said, but only he really knew that he was going to die. And so he comes into Jerusalem for one last time. And he gathers his crew together in what we know as the upper room. And as for what we know as the Last Supper. And he, gets, he just begins to speak faith and potential into this group. And, and this is what you're going to need to do. And this is what you're going to need to remember. And, um, and then he says this. And then he says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to. And this Peter, again, with his big mouth and his confidence, says, not me, Lord. I mean, some of these fools might, but I'll never do it. In fact, I will die for you. When it comes to, I will lay down my life for you. The scene moves from the upper room into the garden. And, and Jesus is, of course, arrested. And then later taken to the house of the high priest for a bogus trial. It's not looking good for Jesus. In fact, imminent crucifixion is coming. And in the courtyard, Peter gets questioned. Not by some burly Roman soldier, but this little girl standing by the door. It's like, hey, you're one, you're one of them. And now this is Peter's moment. I mean, Peter's been waiting for this. I mean, he can, he can, he's going to be able to st- uh, speak for Jesus and, and by Jesus. He's going to be able to um, put his life on the line. He's going to be able to, he's, you know, I'm going I'm to do this. But Peter buckles. The immovable rock becomes the shifting sand. He denies Jesus, not once, not twice. But three times. And then he heard the rooster crow. And then he remembers back to when just the other night, just 12 hours ago, Jesus looked him in the eye and gave him one of the, like a a prophecy that held him speechless, which is a hard thing to do for Peter, keep him speechless. But Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me. In his bravado, he says, you're going to deny me. Before Before the rooster crows, before the dawn comes, You're going to deny me three times. And on that third time, he heard the rooster crow. And he looked over. He sees Jesus in the eye. And he just couldn't take it. He just, horror came upon him. He left. It says he went away and he wept. I'm sure Peter felt crushed. I mean, he was a failure in an area where he probably thought he was strong. 
You know, he made all these claims, uh, rested in being a man of courage, rested in being a man of integrity, rested in being a, a, a person of certainty, and now he denies Jesus as though he had no integrity at all. And let's not forget, I mean, he's a career minister at this point. He left his fishing business. He turned his back on his family and his business. He left everything to do this. To be a leader, to be, and now, I don't know if anybody would follow him at this point. And he knew that. He was ruined. So his, his self-understanding, his self, his idea, everything was just unraveling. And not only that, his career is ruined as well. He's about as wounded as a man could be emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Humpty Dumpty fell over. Now who's going to bring Humpty Dumpty back together again? The only one who could is getting ready to be put into a grave. He just thought it was done. He had failed God. And now it was though God has died because he's getting ready to. And you know what? Sometimes you and I feel that way. When we fail, God feels distant or dead. We feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel like David, uh, as he exclaimed in Psalm 77, in his pain, he wondered, has the steadfast love of the Lord ceased? Has God forgotten to be gracious? You ever feel like that? Peter did. What do you do? What do you do when you feel like that? What would Peter do? Well, in his disillusionment, Peter runs back to his old life. He goes fishing. He went, back to knew what, uh, he went back to what he knew and what he, he trusted. I mean, he just could not. I mean, the, 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 the failure of being a follower, the failure of being a leader, this denial of his master just haunted him and haunted him and haunted him. He was broken and full of shame. And I can think, I'm sure, I can think of a lot of opportunities where I, when I failed. But I, the thing that, uh, that came to mind as I was thinking about Peter was probably 10 years ago when we were... Um, when we were looking for a building that looked before we got this uh, building here in the city, so I guess maybe it was 12 uh, years ago, we went through this phase where we're like, hey, we're going to get a building. And faith and vision and excitement was up here. Reality was way down here. And uh, I mean, we looked at, we looked at every building in the metro area. I mean, I thought we were going to have to, like, move the church to Kansas. Like, it was like, where does this, this is going to happen. We can't, we can't be here. Um, and then we would find a place, and then it wasn't available. Then we'd find a place, and we couldn't afford it. We, then we'd find a place, and the deal fell through. Then we find a place, and there's, you know, some chemical that'll hurt you. And I was like, I don't care. We'll take it. And, um, uh, but it was like getting to this place. I didn't like want to show my face up. I didn't want to come here on Sunday. I just, I, I'm a, when I fail, I'm a hider. I'm, a, I'm with Peter. Let's go fishing. I mean, let's like, I don't want this. I don't want to be around this. And uh, let's go do something else. And Peter fails. And so he goes fishing. And uh, he's just in a familiar place of failure. Failure upon failure. Failed as a disciple Failed as a leader. Now he's failing at fishing because now he goes out and fishes again all night and he hasn't catching a boot. I mean, he just can't, he cannot get a break. He hasn't caught 
a thing. But then suddenly an unexpected voice comes out. Hey, friends, have you caught anything? Try the other side. Now, you would think they'd be like, where have we heard this before? Where have we been when like we went fishing all night? We didn't catch anything. And then a voice cried out to try the other side. But they didn't they didn't check the references. They didn't they didn't know who it was. They didn't ask who it was. They were so low and so desperate, they would listen to anyone. You know what? When you and I get really low and really, we'll listen to anyone. Sometimes we'll listen to bad advice. We'll listen to things that won't help us. So it's that moment like you're, at, you know, you're watching TV late at night. You got a bowl of ice cream between your lap and a Bofux commercial comes on. And in your mind, and in your mind, you're looking at these bodies. You're like, that's what my body basically looks like. And then you go in front of the mirror and shame and failure reality. So you're like, okay, I'm getting in shape. You order the Bowflex, you eat two carrots, and you quit. I mean, it's just like, or you buy the pill, or you do whatever. I mean, you just like, you, you listen to bad advice, or maybe you do something stupid financially because you're trying to mask it. You're, you just listen to anyone. These guys didn't check the references. They were just like, whatever. And so they took the advice. Now, the good news for them, it was good advice. It was unexpected. It was good advice. And it says they cut such a large quantity of fish, they're unable to haul it in. And this one, this one actually tells you how many fish, 153. I hope there are no game wardens in here, but, you know, they, they caught 153 fish. And John was the first to figure it out. He cries out, uh, it is the Lord. Isn't it funny, the, the guy who writes this gospel, John, just refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved? I always thought that was a little bit like, really? So I'm no longer, bro- I'm the pastor that you all love. That's who I am. See how that works for me. But anyway, he's like, it's the Lord. He ju- and then Peter, he hearing that's the Lord, he just jumps out of the boat like a crazy man and like swims and runs to the feet of Jesus. And guess what he says? Nothing. He can't say anything. He, it's that fact they eat breakfast in silence. Do you ever have one of those? I know I'm supposed to say something, but I just I can't I can't say it. I know I'm supposed to be right here. The feet of Jesus is where I need to be. He just can't say anything. This guy was broken. Too broken to make the first move. Now, he needed Jesus to graciously reach out to him. Not to rebuke him. Not to confront him. Peter was already destroyed. He needed to be rehabilitated. He needed to be made new. Again. We're no different. When we blow it, man, we need people around us who will pull us out of our shell. Pull us out of our isolation. Uh, when we want to hide from ourselves, when we want to hide from our friends, when we want to hide from our calling. We need people, I need people around me. You need people around you. We need people around we to, to pull us out. When we want to tuck and run and hide and get out of it. If we don't have people around us who approach us like this, we'll live as a shell of ourselves, as Peter would have. Peter would have lived as a shell of himself had not Jesus come to him. Jesus here is illustrating um, what he told us to do in Matthew 18. Remember Matthew 18? Uh, When there's an epic fail, when there's a a hurt party, 
uh, when someone gets hurt, when someone offends you, when someone says, you need to go to those people who hurt you. You need to speak to them. You need to forgive them. You need to win them. You need to restore them. That's what Jesus does. Jesus, I mean, Peter had some hard work to do, but he needed Jesus to come to him. Jesus was the one who was wronged. Jesus was the one who went to the, the, the beach. He's the one who went to the, the shore of the sea. He's the one who spoke first. I, I know there may be some, I, if you're honest, we're all, we all failed. There's also people who failed us. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, you know what? You may be the only person who can make this right. They're too hurt. They're too broken. They're too embarrassed. They're too full of shame. Go to them. Win them. Forgive them. Renew relationship. Takes courage, humility, a whole lot of Jesus, but it gets to the heart of the gospel. Without the forgiveness of Jesus, without the renewal of Jesus, without the restorative work of Jesus, the best we could do is live in this, the shell of our old life in a whole lot of pain, in a whole lot of disillusionment. That would have been Peter's destiny. But Jesus came to him, forgave him, restored him, won him back. And forgiveness is not the end of the story here. That would have been amazing. If he were just restored back to friendship, hey, me and you are good here. But he restored, he restored him back to his calling, back to his ministry, back to his commissioning. Within two months of him denying that Jesus, that he had any connection with Jesus, within two months, he's preaching the inaugural sermon of the church that, hey, under the power of the Spirit, there's, there's no other name than Jesus. 3,000 get added. Peter blew it. Broken. Shame. Humble. Just Ruined. Jesus restored his friendship, but he restored his ministry back to him. Why three times? Maybe to undo the three denials. We don't know. Maybe to enact a contract. Back then, you'd say something three times for a contract to be good. Um, maybe it's both. We really know. But here's what we do know. That Jesus came and he blotted out the sin that this sin that really haunted him. I mean, there, I'm sure there were other things. But this is the thing that he, knew, that he needed to be dealt with. This failure, this epic failure, he needed to be dealt with. And um, there may be more than a few things that you need Jesus to forgive you of, to show grace to you, rest, restore you. But there's, there, there may be a, like a really big thing that you won't even forgive yourself on. It's so full of shame. Maybe you can't even speak of it to someone else. You've hid it. And your plan was to keep on hiding it. Like this one I'm going to take to my grave. Hebrews 4.13 says, There are no secrets. But everything is laid bare before the one whom we must give account. He knows. He knows your failure. He's knocking. Peter's story is great news for us. What if Peter's story became 
our story? What, became your, what if Peter's story became your story? Your lowest moment erased. Not just erased, but restored beyond even what you thought you were called to do in the first place. How can Peter's story be your story? Well, Jesus has made it very clear. He loves to fix. He loves to restore. He loves to heal. Psalm 103 says he forgives our iniquities. He heals our um, diseases. But then he says things like, if you, you know, you have not because you ask not. You know, seek and you'll find. Ask and you'll get. Um, you know, I'm, I'm knocking at the door. You know, answer, I'll come in. So what do we do? Well, we need to do what Peter did. We need to run to Jesus. We need to be those who ask. We need to be those who seek. We need to be those who open the door. We need to be those who repent. To repent means, just adding to last week's definition, it means to believe the bad news about yourself, and it means to believe the good news as well. Some of us have a hard time believing the bad news. Like people in our culture, that we, you know, this is where most of us would, could be, is like, we basically think that we're good people and on the whole deserve good things to happen to us. But you cannot be a repentant person if you think this way. Um, you have to believe the bad news about you. Um, Jesus is a healer. He's a physician. But he's the worst kind because he's a surgeon. What do surgeons do? They cut people. Ugh. There was a time, a news story in the life of Jesus. Jerusalem News. The, hey, they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, there's this tower that fell on all these people and they crushed them. What sin did they commit? Because back then, people used to believe that only bad things happened to bad people and only good things happened to good people. And I know as like modern people, we don't think that way anymore. But just imagine a society thing. So they're like, what... Man, they must have done something really bad for this to happen to them. And Jesus' response was, if you don't repent, something worse is going to happen to you. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. What's he saying? He's saying, whoever they are, you're just as bad. I know morality is relative, but whatever, whatever is relatively bad to you, whatever those people do, Jesus will say to you this morning, you're just as bad as they are. That's the bad news. The bad news is he cuts us. We need to let him cut us. It means taking responsibility. It means not blame shifting. Um, It's a hard thing to do. Jesus is gracious, but he's gracious kind of in a frightening way. I mean, Peter is like, I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm going to run to Jesus. I don't have anything to say. He was, he was a little bit, he felt too much shame. Repentance starts where blame shifting. It does mean taking responsibility. It does mean owning your part. It's not blaming your circumstances. Diminish responsibility leads to diminished humanity. What I mean by that is we make exceptions for emotional outbursts to small children and those who do not have the mental capacity to control their emotions. So I've got kids. I've been embarrassed, embarrassed once or twice in public. But everybody gives me a free pass. You know, they're just kids. They're just kids. If you treat your sin that way, 
you're diminishing your own humanity. You're, you're look, I'm just, you, hey, hey, nobody's perfect. Repentance means believing the bad news, but it also means believing the good news. So some, some of us, we miss out on the grace of God because we will not embrace the bad news. I don't have cancer. I'm okay. You need surgery. You need to go under the knife. I need to go under the knife. It means accepting the bad news. But it's not just that because Jesus, the good news is Jesus came to earth to cancel out the bad news. He came to remove the cancer. I mean, he'd be a, ter- he'd be a, terrible, you know, a terrible physician would cut you open and then leave. Hey, you know, maybe when you're walking around, the tumor just kind of falls out. Like, I don't know. Like, but he's, a, he's, a good, he's a good physician. He's a good, he's a good surgeon. For those who trust him, receive his gift of righteousness. Now, more, most people are more religious than they care to believe about themselves. And basically, a religious person, a moralist is someone who uh, they, their sense of self-worth worth and so, sense of righteousness, that, hey, I'm a good person, I'm a right person, is based upon their own merit, whatever that merit may be. So it could be being a moral person. It could be, I'm a good mother, I'm smart, I've got a good job, I'm pretty, I'm popular. So those are religious people. Those are, those are people who think by their own merit that they're okay. People who are people who are like that, religious people, moralist, repentance is unto death because you have to crush what makes you you. If you have to say, well, I'm a good person, but actually you're not, you can't, it's hard for you to admit that. You have to admit that you're not a good person. So repentance is unto death. But if you believe in the good news of Jesus that he's come to save you, He's come to remove the tumor and give you righteousness. If you believe the good news, repentance is unto life. In Luke 5, you almost see like two different Peters here. In Luke 5, you know, there's this scene where Jesus comes to him and shows him grace. He comes to him and he like blesses his fishing business. He comes to him and says, okay, you're not catching fish. Boom, fish. And in this moment of grace, Peter's response was, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I can't be around you. He believed the bad news, but he didn't believe the good news. This scene is totally different. John 21, this big catch comes in. And he's you know, tripping over people, running in to the feet of Jesus. He believed the bad news of himself, but he also believed the good news. You know, there's another disciple around the death of Jesus who blew it. Um, his name was Judas. And he believed the bad news about himself too. He believed that he wasn't worth much. He believed that he had blown it so bad, it was so irreparable, that he took his life. He believed the bad news, but he didn't believe the good news. And he hung himself. Peter repented. Judas took his life. Peter surrendered his life. If you ju- it's important. Please don't think I'm being mean when I say it's important for you to know the bad news. 
or you'll never, ever, ever get to the surgery table. But you also need to hear very quickly the good news. See, there's a lot of like the common sense says, well, don't believe bad stuff about yourself because that leads you into disillusionment about who you are. So modern psychology say, don't say you're, you're, you're not, you know, like selfless. So and there's reasons for that. I mean, Judas is a good example of why you should not, I mean, seemingly a good example of why you should not dwell on the bad news. So if you only dwell on the bad news, I mean, you may not hang yourself physically, but you may hang yourself emotionally. You may hang yourself spiritually. You may say, well, I just, you know, I kind of, I, I, I'm okay to come into church, but just like sit on the back row and I, I don't, there's things I don't deserve. So you don't even go, you don't even try, you just. I'll just come and I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll make it better somehow. You know, I'll buy 10 albums. I'll buy, I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll help the needy. I'll do whatever I can. I'll sign up for every serving thing you can do. I'll hurry up and get better. You believe the bad news of yourself and it's crushing. It's crushing you. There is bad news. That's, it's worse than you thought actually. But there's good news. That thankfully is also way, way better than you thought. Repentance is believing the good news as well as the bad news. And that's where Peter was. What about you? Where are you at this morning? Are you like, nah, I'm good. I'm all right. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I make a few mistakes. But I can figure it out. Or maybe you, don't, maybe you just feel guilty and you always feel guilty and you're just, you know, you're in and out and in and out of the church, in and out of the church. You know, you just come to the church, I owe, you just I owe, that's what you just, you, I, I owe, I owe, I owe, it's off the church I go. Like you just, that's your, that's your deal. I just want you to know that there's, there's genuine, Jesus is standing at your door. I don't know how you've blown it, but here's what I believe. Based upon the integrity of Jesus, on the integrity of the Gospels, on the integrity of the Bible, I believe that your best days are in front of you. I don't know how bad your failure was. I don't know what you did. But I believe this, not because I somehow have confidence that you'll do better next time. Because actually, I don't know you, but I don't think you will do better next time. I won't do better next time. None of us will do better next time. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus did do better. Where we fail, he succeeded. And that success becomes our success when we trust in him. And he, you may not be able to see it, you may be so beat down that you can't even lift your head to see him, but he is standing there wanting to restore, wanting to fix, wanting to heal, wanting to renew. The best place you can be this morning is at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Just let him speak to your heart.